European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 44, Issue 41. Focus Issue, Interventional Cardiology and Cardiac and Vascular Surgery, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Hot Topics in Interventional Cardiology Left Main Disease, Heavily Calcified Coronary Stenoses, and Physiology-Guided Percutaneous Coronary Interventions. This focus issue on interventional cardiology and cardiac and vascular surgery contains the 2022 Joint ESC Stroke EACTS Review of the 2018 Guideline Recommendations on the Revascularization of Left Main Coronary Artery Disease in Patients at Low Surgical Risk and Anatomy Suitable for PCI or Cabbage by Robert Byrne and colleagues from the RCSI University of Medicine and Health Sciences in Dublin, Ireland. Treatment of left main, or LM, coronary artery disease remains controversial. In October 2021, the European Society of Cardiology, or ESC, and the European Association for Cardiothoracic Surgery, or EACTS, jointly agreed to establish a task force to review recommendations from the 2018 ESC guidelines on myocardial revascularization as they apply to patients with LM disease with low to intermediate syntax score, 0 to 32. This followed the withdrawal of support by the EACTS in 2019 for the recommendations about the management of LM disease from the previous guideline. The task force was asked to review all new relevant data since the 2018 guidelines, including updated aggregated data from the four randomized trials comparing percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, with drug-eluting stents, or DES, versus coronary artery bypass grafting, or cabbage, in patients with LM disease. This document represents a summary of the work of the task force, suggested updated recommendations for the choice of revascularization modality in patients undergoing myocardial revascularization for LM disease and low to intermediate syntax score are included. In a viewpoint article entitled, Redefining the way to perform percutaneous coronary intervention, a view in search of evidence. Antonio Colombo and Pierre Pasquale Leone from the Humanitas University in Milan, Italy, note that PCI has long been conceived as the optimal stent implantation since the introduction of the first stents, and even more so with DES. The logic behind this is clear and supported by many studies. What is also clear is that despite all refinements, PCI, including DES implantation, performs inferiorly to cabbage in moderately to highly complex lesions. Imaging-guided DES implantation and optimal lesion preparation, including better handling of calcified lesions, are possible solutions, although not free of complexity, risk of complication and cost. Solid evidence comparing such an approach versus cabbage is, however, still lacking. Finally, the persistent risk of late stent thrombosis and restenosis after DES implantation, with a 2% hazard per year, is a concern, 
regardless of lesion complexity. The authors invite the interventional community to a look-back with the aim of offering their forecast to the field of PCI rather than proposing an immediate change. The authors envisage that the following concept has the potential, if supported by adequate studies, to reshape the way to perform PCI. Performance of optimal lesion dilatation with an adequate result should not be considered a straightforward justification to carry on with DES implantation. Indeed, why do we implant DES? If the result after lesion dilatation appears angiographically poor due to recoil or if dissection is judged unstable, DES implantation should follow to avoid impending vessel closure and possibly restenosis. If the result after lesion dilatation is satisfactory, why can't we opt to deliver an anti-restenotic medication via drug-coated balloon or DCB angioplasty rather than proceeding with DES implantation. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Left Main Bifurcation Stenting – Impact of Residual Ischemia on Cardiovascular Mortality Hao Yu Wang and colleagues from the Chinese Academy of Medical Sciences and Peking Union Medical College in Beijing, China sought to determine the rate and prognostic implications of post-procedural physiologically significant residual ischemia according to the Murray Law-Based Quantitative Flow Ratio, or MU-QFR, after LM bifurcation PCI. Consecutive patients undergoing LM bifurcation stenting at a large tertiary care centre between January 2014 and December 2016 with available post-PCI MU-QFR, were included. Physiologically significant residual ischemia was defined by post-PCI MU-QFR values less than or equal to 0.80 in the left anterior descending, or LAD, or left circumflex artery, or LCX. The primary outcome was three-year cardiovascular death. The major secondary outcome was the three-year bifurcation-orientated composite endpoint, or BOCE. Among 1,170 included patients with analyzable post-PCI mu-QFR, 155, or 13.2%, had residual ischemia in either the LAD or the LCX. Patients with versus those without residual ischemia had a higher risk of three-year cardiovascular mortality, 5.4% versus 1.3%, adjusted hazard ratio, or HR, 3.20. The three-year risk of BOCE was significantly higher in the residual ischemia group, 17.8% versus 5.8%, adjusted HR, 2.79, driven by a higher incidence of the composite of cardiovascular death and target bifurcation-related myocardial infarction, or MI, 14% versus 3.3%, adjusted HR 4.06. A significant inverse association was observed between continuous post-PCI mu-QFR and the risk of clinical outcomes. Per 0.1 mu-QFR decrease, HR of cardiovascular death 1.27, HR of BOCE, 
Wang et al. conclude that after angiographically successful LM bifurcation PCI, residual ischemia assessed by MU-QFR was identified in 13.2% of patients and was associated with higher risk of three-year cardiovascular death, indicating the prognostic value of post-PCI physiological assessment. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Niels Johnson and Yongmin An from the McGovern Medical School at UT Health and Memorial Hermann Hospital in Houston, Texas, USA, and Yongmin An from the University of Ulsan College of Medicine in Seoul, South Korea. The authors conclude that while awaiting further evidence, the most important decision for PCI of the LM revolves around the strategy. Provisional single stent versus upfront two stents. A potential resolution to the apparent conflict between DK Crush 5, an upfront two stent strategy is superior, and EBC Main, a provisional single stent strategy is superior, is that both are correct. For a more complex, true LM bifurcation disease, make a two stent plan. For less complex scenarios, begin with a single crossover stent. Wise selection of the strategy involves a thoughtful evaluation of the side branch, usually the LCX, and intravascular imaging brings the most clarity, although intracoronary physiology and anatomical features can help too. Since the publication of the 2015 EA-PCI consensus on rotational atherectomy, the number of PCIs performed in patients with severely calcified coronary artery disease has grown substantially. In a fast-track clinical contribution entitled Management Strategies for Heavily Calcified Coronary Stenoses, an EA-PCI clinical consensus statement in collaboration with the Euro4C PCR group. Emanuela Barbato and colleagues from the Sapienza University in Rome, Italy, note that on one hand, this has been prompted by the clinical demand for the continuous increase in life expectancy, the sustained expansion of the primary PCI networks worldwide, and the routine performance of revascularization procedures in elderly patients. On the other hand, the availability of the new and dedicated technologies, such as orbital atherectomy and intravascular lithotripsy, as well as the optimization of the rotational atherectomy system, has increased operators' confidence in attempting more challenging PCI. This current EAPCI clinical consensus statement, prepared in collaboration with the Euro4C PCR group, describes the comprehensive management of patients with heavily calcified coronary stenoses, starting with how to use non-invasive and invasive imaging to assess calcium burden and inform procedural planning. Objective and practical guidance is provided on the selection of the optimum interventional tool and technique based on the specific calcium morphology and anatomic location. Finally, the specific clinical implications of treating these patients are considered, including the prevention and management of complications and the importance of adequate training and education. The treatment of aortic dissection is challenging. In a Fast Track Congress article entitled Type A Aortic Dissection – Optimal Annual Case Volume for Surgery Michal Kafczynski and colleagues from the Maastricht University Medical Center in the Netherlands 
proposes a novel volume outcome, or VO, meta-analytical approach to determine the optimal annual hospital case volume threshold for cardiovascular interventions in need of centralization. The authors indicate that this novel method is applied to surgery for acute type A aortic dissection, or ATAAD, in an illustrative example. A systematic search was applied to three electronic databases, 1st of January 2012 to the 29th of March 2023. The primary outcome was early mortality in relation to annual hospital case volume. Data were presented by volume quartiles, or Qs. Restricted cubic splines were used to demonstrate the volume outcome relationship and the elbow method was applied to determine the optimal case volume. For clinical interpretations, numbers needed to treat, or NNTs, were calculated. 140 studies were included, comprising 38,276 patients. A significant non-linear volume outcome effect was observed, P being less than 0.001, with a notable between-quartile difference in early mortality rate, 10.3% Q4 versus 16.2% Q1. The optimal annual case volume cutoff was determined at 38 cases per year, NNT to save life in a centre with the optimal volume versus 10 cases per year, equaling 21. More pronounced between quartile survival differences were observed for long-term survival. 10-year survival, Q4 69% versus Q1 51%, P being less than 0.01, adjusted HR 0.83 per quartile. NNT to save life in a high volume, Q4, versus a low volume centre, Q1, equaling 6. The authors conclude that using this novel approach, centralisation of ATAAD care to high volume centres may lead to improved outcomes. This method can be applied to various other cardiovascular procedures requiring centralisation. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Tim Berger, Martin Cherney and Maximilian Kaibisch from the University Hospital in Freiburg in Bad Krosingen, Germany. The authors note that ATAAD is among the cardiovascular diseases with the highest immediate mortality of 0.5% per hour in medically managed patients. After diagnosis is made, two questions need to be addressed. Is the patient stable enough for transfer to a high experience centre with a substantial caseload? Also, even if this is the case, does the patient even benefit from being transferred and operated on in one of these centres? To date, both of these questions could not be properly answered due to the lack of existing data. In the study by Kavczynski and colleagues, important insights were obtained regarding the most relevant volume-related outcomes i.e. short and long-term mortality, as well as stroke. These new data will improve the triaging of patients with ATAAD. The functional assessment of coronary stenoses plays a key role in PCI planning. Guidelines recommend revascularization of intermediate epicardial artery stenosis to be guided by evidence of ischemia. Fractional flow reserve, or FFR, 
and instantaneous wave-free ratio, or IFR, are equally recommended. Individual five-year results of two major randomised trials comparing FFR with IFR-guided revascularization suggested increased all-cause mortality following IFR-guided revascularization. In a Fast Track Congress article entitled Five-year major cardiovascular events are increased when coronary revascularization is guided by instantaneous wave-free ratio compared with fractional flow reserve. A pooled analysis of the IFR Sweetheart and Define Flare trials. Ashkan Eftekahari and colleagues from the Aalborg University Hospital in Denmark note that the aim of this study was a study-level meta-analysis of the five-year outcome data in IFR Sweetheart NCT 02166736 and Define Flare NCT 02053038. The composite of major adverse cardiovascular events, or MACE, and its individual components, all-cause death, MI, and unplanned revascularization, were analysed. Raw Kaplan-Meier estimates, numbers at risk, and number of events were extracted at five-year follow-up and analysed using the IPDFC package. In total, IFR and FFR-guided revascularization was performed in 2,254 and 2,257 patients, respectively. Revascularization was more often deferred in the IFR group, 50%, versus the FFR group, 45.2%, P equaling 0.001. In the IFR-guided group, the number of deaths, MACE, unplanned revascularization and MI were 8.3, 21.5, 10.4 and 5.5% versus 6.3, 18.6, 10.7 and 5.4% in the FFR group. HR estimate for MACE was 1.18, for all-cause mortality 1.34, for unplanned revascularization 0.99, and for MI, 1.02. Eftkahari et al. conclude that five-year all-cause mortality and MACE rates are increased with revascularization guided by IFR compared with FFR. Rates of unplanned revascularization and MI are equal in the two groups. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Mervat Al-Snag from the King Fahad Armed Forces Hospital in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Asnag notes that at this juncture it's important to consider whether it's time to revisit the current guidelines. In the meantime, it's wise to use non-hyperemic pressure indices judiciously and consider FFR-guided revascularization the gold standard strategy for intracoronary pressure measurement. Finally, the results of this meta-analysis do not diminish previously reported evidence confirming that FFR-guided PCI remains superior to angio-guided PCI. The issue is also complemented by a rapid communications article entitled Coronary Revascularization Guided by Instantaneous Wave-Free Ratio Compared with Fractional Flow Reserve Pooled 5-Year Mortality in the Defined Flare and IFR Sweetheart trials, 
by Colin Berry and colleagues from the University of Glasgow. This second meta-analysis of the defined flare and IFR sweetheart trials provides results similar to that of Eftekahari and colleagues confirming the superiority of revascularization guided by FFR compared with IFR. The editors decided to publish these two overlapping meta-analyses because they will probably lead to a modification of a Class I recommendation in the current guidelines, and they find it reassuring to have these new data confirmed by two independent groups. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.